0: Lord that you are real and you have reached down to us you have become one of us you sent your son to be one of us and to do what we couldn't do he paid a debt that he didn't owe because we owed a debt that we could never repay and for that we are forever eternally thankful i pray that you open our hearts we're going to study your word may we be eager and may we hupakuo may we Place ourselves under what we, we're about to hear with a readiness that says right now, Lord, whatever you say, wherever your spirit leads, whatever is in your word, I'm going to obey. And I'm going to obey by the power of your spirit. And I'm going to obey for your glory and for my joy and for the good of others. We pray this in Jesus' name. and We all say, amen. Good. Well, let me uh, start out here. You can turn your Bibles to Colossians because that's where we're at, Colossians 4. And... Uh, I just want to start out with this simple statement, losing your baggage, losing your baggage can be painful. Can you uh, can you agree with that? How many of you ever lost your baggage? Okay, painful, painful, and I, I guess my wife's up taking the, the uh, offering, but uh, she, she knows what this statement means, and if you ever got her going on it, she can tell you all sorts of, of stories. The first time we ever went to Romania, uh, she lost her luggage. And, you know, here we are in kind of a high stress. We'd never She had never been there before, and I'd only been there once and taken her and another uh, member of our church. And, and you just you prepare, you pack. You know how important packing is before you go on something like that. And so she had everything that she needed. The only problem was it wasn't there when she got there. And uh, that was just high stress. And it wasn't going to come in Romania. We are in the middle of Transylvania. And uh, and it just wasn't going to get there for a week if it was going to get there at all. And so that was just crazy. She ended up having to go to uh, a thrift store, which is and just a thrift store is a person's place that clothes are dumped at that point because communism had not fallen that much earlier, and, and there weren't stores. And so there's piles of clothes. So she had to dig through. Uh, piles of clothes that would just be what we would consider goodwill and trash, but for them was a thrift store and or uh, a clothing store and found some dresses to wear. And I remember uh, I would get up in the morning, and I would think, uh, you know, Gwen, I just don't know what to wear because you would be dirt. and It was just you never knew what to wear, what you were going to encounter. I just don't know what to wear, and I'd be going on and on about that, and she'd look at me, and there'd just be like this anger. Oh, there you are, Gwen. And... Uh, and she, I, I, what do you mean? What do you have to wear? I have one thing to wear. You know, I have to wear this. And she's kind of going off. And I said, Shh! You realize? Because in Romania, our dear friends, they wore the same clothes probably for a week. You yeah, know, I said, You know that's. And then she realized, Wow, wow! Our American culture, our different, different values, kind of interesting. Uh. So this got so bad that every time we went, she would always lose it. Always, every time. No one else would lose her luggage. I never lost my luggage. She would lose it every time. So she determined on one trip that we went on that she was not going to lose it. And so she packed everything in a carry-on. She goes, I mean, you know, I'm just not risking that anymore. I'm tired of going without my clothes, losing my luggage. It's painful. And so uh, we get somehow we got on the, the plane late, and there was only so many. Uh, uh, the overhead was already filled. And so, you know, I don't know. I walked by, and they see Gwen, and I think they have her name. You know, they say, oh, there's that Regus woman. And so they uh, they took her carry-on. And she about lost it. She just about lost it. So cursed is my wife that the Browns borrowed her piece of luggage one time. And what happened, Christy? It got lost. It got <laughs> lost. It was just ironic. I mean, so don't ever, you know, you can borrow my bag. You can borrow anyone else's bag. Don't borrow Gwen's bag. Losing your baggage can be painful, but, but it can also be liberating. It can also be liberating. Uh, Gwen didn't have to worry about what to wear. I did. She was liberated. Uh, But, you know, and honestly, what happened was she bought that Romanian dress and wore it for that week. And again, in this small town in the middle of Transylvania and where uh, you don't have thousands of outlets and all these kind of things, everybody recognized what she was wearing was Romanian. And so all the ladies would rush up to her and be all excited that she was identifying So this painful opportunity really accomplished what we go there for, and that's to identify with the culture. She didn't have to carry anything. She didn't have to worry about where to put it. Didn't have to worry. You know, the the, the biggest thing I I can't stand is what do you do with dirty clothes? Because clean ones fold, and they go in there. Dirty ones, you know, somehow going through dirty clothes to fold it to make it pack again seems. you know, you just, you know, actually what I started doing, and I learned this tip uh, from someone, was I started just taking older clothing especially undergarments, and I would just throw them away. And so, you know, the poor Romanians, they'd have this trash can full of uh, old clothes because, you know, that way you don't have to pack it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it did, because then I don't have to bring those clothes. Those take up a lot of room, you know, undershirts and that kind of stuff, and uh, would be able to pack other things in there. Anyway, it can be liberated. Now, same is true regarding your emotional or my relational or spiritual baggage. Too often people never make their mark in eternity, and that's what this lesson series is all about, making your mark in eternity. They never make it, and they never fulfill their ministry because they never lose their baggage. And they think it's going to be too painful to lose it, and they lack the faith to see how liberating it will be once you lose it. So I hope you take that idea. It's painful to lose. But it can also be liberating. So if that's you this morning, and there shouldn't really, there really isn't, if we're honest, any of us that doesn't have some sort of emotional, spiritual, relational baggage. And uh, if you don't, then you just got rid of it right before you came in, and you'll pick some up probably before you go home today. Okay. So there's good news. Losing your spiritual, emo- emotional baggage may be painful but it can be liberating and it can set you on the path to make your mark and fulfill your ministry from the Lord. All you have to do is follow in the footsteps of a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus. So let's look at Colossians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 7 through 9 because Onesimus is linked with Tychicus, which we studied two weeks ago. Let's look at Colossians chapter 4, 7 through 9. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. And look at the, the fourfold way. He's a beloved brother a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we and that he may encourage your hearts. We said a trustworthy guy like Tychicus is an encouragement. You can always count on him. And with him and with this trustworthy individual is Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, They will tell you, they together as a team will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Here's what we're going to learn from Anesimus. Last week, two weeks ago, we learned be trustworthy. Today, we're going to learn a second step in fulfilling your ministry, and it's this. Follow in the footsteps of Anesimus and be reconciled. Be reconciled with your past. Lose the baggage. It's liberating. Be reconciled with your past. Now last week we said that when it comes to trust, there's two things you have to learn. There's two aspects to trusting: earning and learning. You got to earn the trust of other people, but you also have to learn to trust people. And today in this lesson, we're going to learn about both of those things because it's about asking and giving forgiveness. And when you ask for forgiveness, you've got to learn to trust that you won't be rejected. And you very well may be. But you've got to do it anyway. But when you give forgiveness, you've got to learn to be trusting of the person that you're forgiving. So the the person who's asking forgiveness often has to earn that trust. The person giving the forgiveness has to learn to trust. And all through this, we're going to learn how to make our mark. So let's first look at the man. And then let's look at how he made his mark. So let's look a little bit at the background of a man who made his mark by the name of Onesimus. His name means useful or profitable. Useful or profitable. How would you like to have that name? Hey, what's your name? I'm useful. I mean, that just, you know, begs, you know, questions and and potential and possibilities. And especially if you're a slave. This was a common name for slaves. Hey, uh, you know, here here's here maybe uh uh two of my slaves have a child and they're born and I get to name them as my master, and, and I'm gonna name them useful, profitable, because that's what I expect, that's what I hope. I want all my servants to be useful or profitable. The only thing is you have to live up to that name. You need to live up to that name. I mean, to go around and say, hi, my name's useful, and to be useless would be quite a contradiction, and yet that's exactly what we see. Onesimus is mentioned only two times in the Bible, in the verse in Colossians that we just read, and then in the little letter of Philemon. The little letter of Philemon. And that little letter, the shortest letter that Paul ever wrote, it's written to a man by the name of Philemon, and yet it's it's to be read even at the church at Colossae. Because there's three letters that were all written at the same time by the Apostle Paul, and we've been studying this, Colossians, this little letter of Philemon, and then Ephesians, because these were all churches in the in Asia minor, minor. Minor, they were close by, and there's even a letter that Paul mentions to the Laodiceans that we don't have. I don't know, but here's what I want you to see: Colossians is about our relationship with Christ. Okay philemon's about our fellowship with other believers and ephesians about our membership in the local church all i want you to see is this that losing your baggage and reconciling your past impacts all three of those areas in your life being reconciled with your past is not only a thing between you and god too many people think if i take care of it with god then i'm done but that's not the case. You're only getting rid of half of the baggage. It also impacts your fellowship with other believers. If you don't apply this lesson, if I don't take heed to what I'm teaching, it's going to impact not only my relationship with Christ vertically, but my fellowship with other people. Let me say this: Some who don't go, some the reason some people don't join a grow group is this very reason. They don't they got too much baggage and they don't want to unpack it. Now, some people join a group because they have too much baggage. The problem is they don't want to lose it. They just want to sort through the dirty clothes again and again and again. And it's like, isn't it time for you to lose that? Painful as it is, it's going to be liberating. But it also impacts your membership in our church. How is that? Because... Our baggage weighs us down from fulfilling our ministries. Again, many people don't get involved in ministry because they're too busy sorting through their dirty clothes. Get rid of that stuff. It's weighing you down. It's holding you back. It's keeping you from finding God's best for you. And so that's how these letters are all related. But Philemon is the story of Onesimus' life before he came to Christ and after he came to Christ. It's short. It's powerful. You ought to read it this week. You ought to just read it. Just say, I'm going to read Philemon. little tiny, won't take you but a few minutes, but you'll be glad you did. Now, that book tells the story of Onesimus' life, even though it's addressed to his master. And the story of his life can be summarized the way most of our spiritual stories can be. Before he came to Christ, how he came to Christ. And what happened after he came to Christ. So that's how I'm I'm summarizing his life. So let's take a look at it. Before he came to Christ, Onesimus was useless. The guy called useful was useless to his master, Philemon. Let's look at Philemon. And uh, so you can just quickly see that. He was called useless. You just kind of get the background of this little letter. Let's look at uh, verses 1 through 3. And notice what it says. Book of Philemon right after uh, Titus, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. So it's written to an individual, but it's intended to be read also to the whole church. We've already met some of these people. The first lesson in this series was about Archippus. He's mentioned there, and we said more than likely he was pastor of, uh, of not the whole church in Colossae than at least a house church, and more than likely Philemon is married to Aphia, man and wife, and possibly, we don't know, but possibly their son is Archippus because this church meets in their house. More than likely, this is a family unit, and it was a family, and so let's talk a little bit about Philemon. Philemon is a master of. Uh, he's a rather wealthy guy. He he lives there at Colossae. He's wealthy enough to have a house that's big enough for a church to meet in. And he's wealthy enough to own at least one slave, and that slave's name is what? Onesimus. Let's look at verses 4 through 16 there in Philemon again. Verses 4 through 16. As we keep continue to read. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I've dried much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. High praise for Philemon. But then here comes his plea or the runaway slave, Onesimus. Accordingly, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you but now indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, But more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? Well, Philemon is the believing master who was wrong because why? Onesimus is the runaway slave that ran away as an unbeliever. What did he do? Why was he useless? Here's a master with a slave. He's useless because he ran from his responsibilities. He had things he needed to do in Philemon's household, and he ran out. You ever have anybody run out on you? It hurts. It's frustrating. Things go undone. More than likely, he stole from his master. Uh, You know, a slave doesn't own anything, so if he's going to make a run for it, he's got money to finance his trip. And more than likely, he ran to Rome. So he went all the way from Colossae in the east to the west. Rome, that took money. He probably took something valuable from Philemon. And even if he didn't take anything valuable, he took one of the most valuable things from him, time. Because who was going to have to do what Onesimus was supposed to do? Philemon. Or he's going to have to hire another slave. So he ran out onto him. He probably ran to Rome. Uh, it is estimated at this time that one out of every three people in Rome was a slave. Runaway slaves, uh, Good slaves, bad slaves, you know, wicked slaves. He could lose himself in this mass of humanity. It'd be like running from Kansas City to lose yourself in New York or L.A. Okay, how are you going to find somebody in all those masses? Well, when you think no one can find you, who can always find you? You think no one can find you, who can always find you? Jesus Christ. God will always find you. And so he came to Christ in Rome. How did he come to Christ? Onesimus was led to a saving faith in Christ by the apostle Paul while Paul was in chains faithfully serving his master. You've got to get this iron. I don't know how to play all this out for you. I just don't know how. You've got to sit and you've got to think about it. Here's this guy who was a slave physically in chains, and he's going to liberate himself. I'm going to run my life. I'm going to set myself free. I'm going to get rid of my baggage, and my baggage is you, Philemon. So I'm going to run from you and lose myself in humanity and do my thing, my way, take what I want, do what I want, build my life around me. And he was never in more bondage than he was when he did that. And then he meets this man, this man who is in bondage, this man who physically has chains. He has a Roman guard chained to him 24 hours a day. He can't do anything unless Caesar says so. And yet he never met a man more free in all his life. And this man, who was imprisoned and in a position that Onesimus never wanted to be in, shared with him the freeing message of the gospel of Christ, and then Onesimus really lost his chains, he really lost his bondage, and he was set free. What a transformation. We just read about this man who, who wanted to be set free and tried to set his free himself free is set free by the Apostle Paul sharing the message. It's in verse 10. My child, he he calls Onesimus his spiritual son. My child, Onesimus, whose father I became in imprisonment. I think it's beautiful. I would have loved to have heard that story. Wouldn't you have loved to have heard the detail? How'd they meet? Was he in prison? How did he, how did, you know, was, I don't know. We don't know the details because you know what? You know what he focuses on? Something that we need to remember in our testimony. He doesn't focus so much on the details of how he got saved. What Paul focuses on is how much his life was changed after he met Christ. Let's just stop right there and think a minute. Some of you have been saved for a long time. Some of you have just been saved very recently. But you know what? The details are always different, and the details are interesting. Don't get me wrong. I love to hear those details. Because they're just like Onesimus. It's God's sovereign planning of your life until, boom, you intersect with someone that shares the gospel with you. Those details are great. But those details are nothing if you don't have a testimony of how much God has changed your life since you met christ See, here was Onesimus' life. Hi, my name's Useful. Love to meet you. There was a time in my life when I was useless. I didn't live up to my name. And I met a man in chains. Me, a slave, met a man in chains who set me free. And I went from being useless to useful. And now I live up to my name, but I give all the glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? That ought to be my testimony. That ought to be your testimony. What a transformation after Christ. Let's look at the, the change after Christ. Onesimus was now useful to his new heavenly master, Jesus Christ, and to his earthly servant, the apostle Paul. That's what Paul says. Hey, he used to be useless to you, but now he's useful to you and to me. I can't, I can't live without this guy. I can't do my work without this guy. Onesimus, useful profitable what a transformation the guy that didn't want to serve anyone is once again serving someone the guy who ran from his earthly master is now returning to his earthly master the guy who stole from others is now willing to sacrifice himself for others the guy who sought himself free has found freedom in being slave to the lord jesus christ and a servant to others that's a transformation is that the story of your life Jesus Christ should radically change the direction of our lives. You see, here's how radical it was. You see this in your notes. Like Archippus that we studied at the beginning of this series, Onesimus is learning to make his mark by fulfilling his ministry. Remember the life principle from Archippus? It was this. We are saved to serve others, and everyone's given a ministry by his master to fulfill. Here's Onesimus, who was useless And now he's got a ministry. He's teamed up with Tychicus and they're going to share a ministry report from the Apostle Paul. That's pretty radical. But also like Tychicus, Onesimus is learning to make his mark by becoming trustworthy. Look, he's linked with this trustworthy guy and he's described in a very similar way. Look again at verse 9. He's described in in, in very similar to Tychicus, but in some ways different. Look at verse 9. And with him... Anesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. Now, two weeks ago, we said if you're going to be trustworthy, you've got to stay on track. You've got to stay on track over time and develop that track record. And what was that track record? Know Christ with a relationship, grow with Christ through fellowship with other believers in community, get in a grow group show Christ through loving and serving others both in the church and outside in the community and then go with Christ in sharing Christ wherever you go wherever you live with the lost people that you encounter now I just want you to see that Onesimus is on track so let's take a look at it first of all knowing Christ what does Paul call him he is a brother in Christ he's a brother he doesn't call him slave hey I got your slave here I'm sending him back he goes no this is this is our brother now. We're on a totally different wavelength. We're in the family of Christ. Secondly, grow in Christ. He's not only a brother, he's a beloved brother. This guy is in community. With who? Well, with all the people mentioned at the end of Colossians. With Paul's with ministry team. With Tychicus. With Aristarchus. With all these dudes' names that we're going to meet in the weeks to come. He's beloved. God loves him, and others love him too. He didn't run from a grow group. He didn't run from community. He's getting rid of his baggage, so he's free to have fellowship with others. Third, showing Christ. He's not just a beloved brother. He's a faithful brother. He's a faithful brother. He's he's applying what we learned two weeks ago. He's beginning to show himself faithful in the little things. In the little things. He's not a minister. He's not called a servant. He's not called a slave, even in the spiritual sense. He's just a faithful brother. He's beginning to show, and and if he makes it to Colossians, he will have accomplished something that Paul asked him to do. If he delivers this letter to Philemon and he doesn't chicken out, he will have been faithful once again. So what about going with Christ? Well, there's only one problem about going with Christ. He's a runaway slave. He's got baggage. He's got to go back and he's got to get it right. Now, I'm telling you, that's where we all get. When we come to Christ, we got to get things right. After we come to Christ, we sometimes do things wrong. You got to get it right, not only with God, but with others, or you're going to be chained. This guy's going back to the scene of the crime, he's facing his fears. He's dealing with his past so he can move on into the future. This is powerful stuff. It's going to set him free and it can set you free. if You'll take heed to this lesson. Now, Paul avoids the word slave that he so freely used of himself in Tychicus. Why do you think he avoids the word slave? The guy's a slave. Why wouldn't he call him a slave of Christ? Why do you think he did that? I'll tell you two reasons, I think. One, he wanted to make it very clear that we don't deal with Onesimus any longer as with his past sins. Those are forgiven. We don't say Onesimus, the runaway slave. We say Onesimus, our brother in Christ. Can I hear, uh, thank God for that? Aren't you glad that you're not identified by God and by his people, by your past sins. If they're under the blood, if you made them right, and you're on this road to reconciliation, we don't think of you in terms of your past sins. We think of you in terms of your potential in Christ at this church. And if you're hung up on that, it's your hang-up, it's your baggage, get rid of it today. Because we don't carry your baggage for you. And we don't unpack it for you and hold it up because I'm too busy getting rid of mine. Right? That's good stuff. Yeah, it is good, Chris. Keep going. Okay, I will. So there'd be no confusion. But also, it's because he's not yet free of that past. This past needs to be dealt with. And he's not free to be a slave to the Lord and go wherever the Lord tells him to go. Why? Because he's got to get rid of his baggage first. All right, now how do you do that? Well, let's take a look. How did Onesimus go from being useless to the Lord to being useful? What set him free to fulfill his ministry? And here's here's the answer. Onesimus was willing to risk being reconciled with his past. He was willing to be risked, to risk being reconciled. Because I can tell you in my life, in your life, the number one hang up, the number one roadblock That you're going to have in in restoring your past, in reconciling your past, is the fear of going back to the scene of the crime. The fear of coming clean about what you did. The risk of going to those you wronged and what if they reject me? What if they don't forgive me? What if they're not the Apostle Paul? What if they're a Judas and they betray me? There's the risk. And he was willing, I mean, he's going back. I don't know, I didn't study out what they did to runaway slaves, but I can almost guarantee you it wasn't pretty. He probably could have been killed rightfully on the spot. Brutally beat. Yeah, but Philemon's a Christian. Since when did that stop anybody from being unforgiving? Ought to, but does it? No, it's risky business. It's risky business. And so he's doing it. Well, here's how you do it. Get rid of your baggage, make your mark, be reconciled to your past, and here's how you do it. Be reconciled by returning on the road of reconciliation. This guy's going back. He's going back. I think this is beautiful. He's literally walking back from Rome to Colossae. And that is a word picture of what you and I have to do. We've got to go back. Why is it called a road with mile markers? Because it's about the journey and not just the destination. See, when we want to make things right, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Let's move on. -uh. That's not how it happens. It's a road. It's a journey. It takes time. It happens in steps. It's it's a road. It doesn't happen in isolation. The road to reconciliation is a wide one. It allows others to travel with you. Get in the grow group. I, I, listen, if you're if you're trying to make this journey for Christ alone, you're crazy. Can I say that in love? You're crazy. You're crazy. It ain't going well. It never has for me when I've done it. And it won't go well for you. The road to restoration is broad enough for others to walk with you. And it, it, it requires progress over time. You need mile markers. Jim and I, we, we walked in Romania. We were without a car, right? And uh, took pictures of Jim at every mile marker we, we passed. Someday I'll have to put that in a slide and show you. It was rather humorous, wasn't it? Because we needed to measure our progress. We were looking for the car that we, <laughs> we needed to make it to. And it takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of hard work. So let me give you these eight mile markers. Uh, obviously, we're not going to go in depth. But this is what he went through. And this is the picture. And the first one is redeemed. Redeemed. The first mile marker is redeemed. You know, the first thing that you need to ask, and it often will be asked when you blow it big, first question needs to be asked is, are you born again? Did you blow it because you blew it, or did you blow it because you're not born again? Listen, you'll never be restored unless you're truly redeemed. This guy went from useless to useful because he was truly born again. He saw a vision of God's holiness that showed him his sinfulness, and he, he gave himself to Christ, and that's the first step on the road. And I think too often we race over that. How does my salvation enter in to this need for reconciliation that I have? The place to start is in your salvation. Paul led him to turn from his sins and to trust Jesus. And just because you trusted Jesus in the past, if you're going to be reconciled with people, you've got to go back and say, Lord, you're not just my Savior, you're my Lord, and I'm going to to do what you want me to do to be reconciled. Lordship, crucial. Mile marker number two is repent. Turn from the specific sins that made you useless to God and others. Repentance is real easy. There it is. There's the definition. I used to be pursuing my sin, and now I make a 180-degree turn. Do you realize he went from east to west, and now which way is he going? From west to east. It's a a word picture, and if he had to do it, I have to do it, you have to do it. You've got to turn from that sin. Now, he turned from his sins to accept Jesus. We have not all done that. I don't know that. Most of us have done that. But when you need to reconcile, you have to repent of those specific sins. And what was his specific sin? He ran away, and so what is he doing? Returning. And he stole, and we're going to see in a moment, he's going to repay. So have I really turned from those sins? Mile marker number three. Receive. Receive. Redeem. Repent. I turn from my sins, and when I I turn from them, what do I do about them? I receive God's forgiveness. I receive God's forgiveness. Specifically for those sins. Notice Proverbs 28:13. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. See, we quote 1 John 1:9. 1, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and forgive us, uh, uh, forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There, I'm forgiven. Get off my back. But Proverbs twenty-eight says, "Confess and forsake." So we repent of our sin and we say, "Lord, forgive me," and then we receive it because when we're born again, He'll forgive our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us. Now, here's the problem. On the road, losing your baggage. Most people stop at mile marker three. They get saved in crisis or they're born again and they get caught in their sin and they repent, sometimes forced to because they were caught, and then they ask forgiveness and then they expect everything to be fine. Mile marker three, there's eight. It's a journey not just the destination. Here's number four. Request. Request. What's that mean? It means... I spelled that wrong. The receiving forgiveness is vertical from God. The requesting now is asking forgiveness from those you wronged. So who have I wronged? What have I done? And I go, because in Matthew 5... 23 through 26. Here's what God says. If you come to me and you remember that someone has something against you, stop worshiping me and go make it right with them. Then come back and worship. That's how important asking forgiveness with other people. So here's what we're tempted to do. And you, what are you tempted? Every one of us is tempted to do one of these two things. That when when we're caught in our sin, and we've, we're wrong in a relationship, we've stepped on someone's toes, we've, we've done wrong, and we know it, we'll either go to them and ask forgiveness and never deal with God, or we're tempted to go to God and never deal with the horizontal. Would you agree? And I would venture to say we are all prone to do one of those two things. See, some of us are like real buddies with God. And I like going to Him. I can ask forgiveness. I can claim it. Not too scary. Not too hard. Not too difficult. Now, others of us, God's really scary. <laughs> and we understand His holiness, and we're like, I'd much rather go to so-and-so, because after all, I know their weaknesses, and I can always justify and excuse and, and say, well, I try to ask Him forgiveness, but He's such a jerk, he you know, he wouldn't forgive me or whatever you want to say. I don't know. We, I, believe me, we're, some of you are smiling. Some of you are honest. You, you get what I'm saying? But you got to do both. I've got to do both. Now, who do you have to ask forgiveness to? Well, if it's just a sin in your heart, you just ask who? God. If it's between you and your spouse or your family, who do you ask? Who do you ask? People on the internet are dying to know. Who do you ask? Your spouse, right? What happens if it's with a larger group? Who do you ask forgiveness? The larger group. What happens if you're a leader in the church? Who do you ask? The church. Now, if you want a picture of this, and we can't go there, but in the book of Acts, there's a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira who went through this whole process, and the Holy Spirit tempted them to lie about their giving. And if they would have dealt with it then, they would have just Ananias would just told God. But he shared it with his wife, and his wife didn't confront him, but went in on the lie, and they could have just confessed it to one another. But then they took it to the church, and did it before the church, and therefore they were accountable in public. They were given the opportunity to repent, and then what happened? They refused to repent. They got off the road of reconciliation, and God killed them on the spot. Kind of a cheery thought this Sunday morning. <laughs> Think about that when you give at the offering time. You already saw I mean it's just you know some of some of us may need to stop right now and say man we already had an offering. God help me. God be merciful. We need to be honest with God. All right. Mile marker number five repay. Mile marker number five is repay. Sometimes what we've done, well every time we sin; it's costly to us and others. Sometimes we can repay that. If I steal your car and wreck it, I can buy you a new one, and that's what I ought to do. I took your car, right, and I did. And that's exactly what's happening in Philemon. Onesimus stole money that he has long since spent. Now he's saved, but guess what? He owes the money or the property that he stole. And now he can't pay it. So what does he need? Paul steps in and says, whatever he owes you, I will pay it. But there's a twist here. There's a twist. And the twist is this. Paul says, but Philemon, you're born again. You're a forgiver. You're a believer. If you're going to demand payment, I will payment. I will pay it. But let me remind you of something, Philemon. And I do this in love. I led you to Christ. You owe a spiritual debt that you couldn't pay and Christ paid it and I helped you figure out how Christ could pay it. You see Philemon, you think Onesimus owes you, but you are as much a debtor as he And if you will remember how big a debt you had that you couldn't pay that Christ paid and I helped you Learn that message, and I helped you be set free from that debt. What I'm hoping, Philemon, is that you will release this material debt that Onesimus owes you because now he is born again. You are brothers. You are debtors, and Christ has made you. rich. it? Mile marker six. Reconcile. Reconcile. Once you've asked forgiveness, once you've offered to repay, now the ball is in their court. Will you reconcile with me? Whenever it is possible, and right in God's eyes, seek to renew the relationship. Now, I know this from experience. Counseling, discipling, small groups. You hit this point in a group like this, and it's a legitimate question, but the question's going to rise. Well, what if? What if? Let's take the worst-case scenario. What if, what if, God forbid, somebody would violate your daughter? Are you telling me that I have to reconcile with that person? No. God's not an idiot, and neither am I that would be foolish that would be stupid that wouldn't be right in god's eyes you don't in other words now that he violated my daughter if i really was a christian i'd invite him over to the house for games no no that's crazy it wouldn't be right in god's eyes to reconcile in that way and reestablish a relationship with someone who had done something like that but do you still need to forgive them yes yes <laughs> All right, Aaron, that's, no, <laughs> I know, that's what we want, that's what we want, but that's what the government is there for, and that's just what it is, we forgive them, why? Because we got to say, but for the grace of God, I could do that. Oh, I wouldn't do that. Oh, really? That kind of pride and that kind of self-righteousness is exactly the kind of thing that gets people in those kinds of things. See, our nice sins are just as evil as the worst sin, And all sin has put Christ on the cross. And, you know, and it's your choice. You want You don't want to forgive? You don't have to. Guess what you just put on yourself? You put a chain on yourself, and you just create a big piece of luggage that you're going to carry through the rest of your life. And that luggage is going to have that perpetrator's name on it, and it's going to have that hurt and that pain and that sin, and every day you're going to unpack that bag, and every day you're going to relive that hurt, and every day you're going to have that anger, and every day you're going to want to hurt them. And That's a horrible way to... You can be set free from that. You say, but they're getting off. No, they're not getting off. God sees it all. And there's a day when we'll all give an account. They will give their account. Now, you know, it's, it's, it's a scary thing to have to stand up there and say that when I have a daughter. But I say to you honestly, and I say it fearfully, because God may take me up on it. But I tell you, I prepare my heart and mind, Lord, I gave her to you the day she was born. Her mother and I did. And that means that in your sovereignty, whatever she goes through, I can trust you. And I release her to you. Not your intent for something bad to happen to you, to her. But in your sovereignty and your purposes for her, I don't know what's going to happen. But I know this, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to have a forgiving heart. And it won't be because I did it because I'm right there with you. It'll be because I prepared my heart, and when I needed it, by God's grace, he gave it to me. I don't know if I'll have it. I won't have it if he doesn't give it. But that's what I want to prepare my heart for. Because you know what? If I can't prepare my heart for something like that, I'm not going to forgive Jim when he does something wrong to me tomorrow. See, we think we got this all worked out. I'll not forgive that, but I'd forget no. It all is an unforgiving heart. And so then mile marker 7 is rebuild. Because you know what? It doesn't happen overnight, and you got to rebuild trust. you got to rebuild trust. What do you think Onesimus is doing? He's going back. He is one of you, Paul says, but he's going to have to rebuild trust. And then mile marker 8 is the glorious one of restored. Because you know what? The Bible doesn't say what Philemon does. And I think the reason it does that is because it wants to leave you and I with that question today. What do you think Philemon did? What do you think Philemon did? Would he do what you would do? Or do you say, oh, he's a Bible guy. They always do the right thing. No, he went through the same struggles that you and I go through. It may not have been his child that was violated, but it was his respect and his rights as a master that were violated in a culture that said, demand your right. And I just think that he did what God wanted him to do. And they were restored. I think that's why we have the letter. Otherwise, what would he have done with the letter? That up. Plus, it was written to the church the church heard it too and so they're watching this listen people are watching you and watching me on how we deal with the road to restoration all right here's the core of it the core of it is this if this thing's going to work if you're going to be if you're going to get rid of your baggage today First of all, I wanted to show you those steps just because I'm sorry. Those are these steps. If you sat with me and you got counseling, if I shared with you my life story, these are the steps. You, you've got to go through. And he's doing, and, and let me tell you, that trip to, that wasn't an airplane ride to uh, Colossae. He had a lot of time to think of what he was carrying. And if you go through that little letter of Philemon, you'll see all these steps. But here's the key. You've got to ask forgiveness. I've got Scripture for you. Some of you need to go in-depth on that. And then you've got to give forgiveness. Listen, reconciliation is a two-way process. Sometimes we don't reconcile with people because uh, it wouldn't be appropriate. Violators, I understand that. But too often we put everybody in that category. Anybody that hurts me is in that category. Wrong. And so we've got to give forgiveness. You say, what if they don't repent? What if they won't forgive me? What you know what if I, I do I have to forgive someone who keeps doing the wrong thing? And what if I ask for forgiveness and they just won't do it? There's a third aspect in your notes. be forgiving. Be forgiving. You know what Christ said on the cross, Father, forgive them. they don't not know not what they do. He didn't say, I forgive you, beat me some more. I forgive you, drive the nails in farther. He went vertical and said, look, they aren't aren't stopping and they aren't repenting and they aren't loving right now, so Father, you forgive them because they're clueless that they're killing their Savior. You say, is that practical for a human being? Stephen is being stoned. Stones are being pelted and he cries out, Father, don't hold this sin against them. That's how you be forgiving. You you don't forgive people who aren't repentant, and you don't forgive people who, 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 who won't ask for it, but you can be forgiving to them, which means at the drop of a hat, I'd forgive them. See, when you went to Jesus, we were there at the cross. We were the ones that He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And in the beginning of our life, we were useless to God and His kingdom because we were in our sin. And then we came to Christ, and we said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. And he didn't say, well, let's talk about this. Let me think if I want to forgive you. Why? Because he had already forgiven you on the cross. He was forgiving. He was willing. Let me say it this way. He he didn't forgive you on the cross. He was willing to forgive you. He had paid the price of your sin. I hope I'm getting this right theologically. The point is, the work was done, but I needed to ask, right? I needed to ask, and he immediately forgave because he had a forgiving heart. There are some in my life that won't forgive. I can be forgiving, and someday, if they would ask, it's done because it's our. our, our, I'm, our I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm willing. Some who sin against me and keep sinning. I have that kind of pain. I have that kind of pain. I have to work on I'm going to be forgiving, And here's the key. I've got to focus on my responsibility, not on theirs. I've got to focus. I'm to be forgiving. I am not to focus on what they are to do. If you focus on what they are to do, you will have a spirit of rejection. If you focus on what God has done for you and what you need to do in Christ towards them, you will have a spirit of reception. And on that I end. So what do you have today? How much luggage are you carrying? Are you willing to go through the pain? This is not easy. It is painful. But there's something more painful than losing your baggage. And that's keeping it. Risk it today. Risk Jesus with your past. But don't just go vertical. Go horizontal and risk Asking for forgiveness. And for some of you, the bigger risk is giving it. And for some of you, it'll be a day of liberation if you will be forgiving today, regardless of what others do. Doesn't mean you don't want them in the electric chair. It doesn't mean you don't want justice to be served. It just means I'm not the judge. He is, and the judge died for me the least I can do, is offer to others what He has offered to me. So freely, so undeserving in my Savior Jesus Christ. I hope none of us leave here today unchanged. Let's pray. Father, we thank You as we are talking about mercy and mystery that's greater than my understanding, greater than our understanding. And we're standing in it, and yet we're so selfish with it, and we're so slow to give it to others. Lord, let me rid myself of my baggage. Let me lay it at the cross. Let me be free, free to offer to others what you so freely have given to me. I pray for each person here. I know we're on this road together, and I know there's luggage that needs to be left behind today. Please, let us get on this road and follow it all the way to the end. For your glory, for our joy, and for the good of all people, we do this today.